This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're going to talk about nine decades of bull and bear markets. I think that when we have craziness in the markets like we've had over the last few months, it really helps to put things into perspective about what's happened in the past, where we've seen gains and where we've seen losses, what has happened in the world, and yet we've still had some type of recovery follow it, and also why asset allocation really is the name of the game long term. So let's kind of talk about that for just a minute. Asset allocation just means having your eggs in more than one basket. So the reason it's called asset allocation is because there's these things called asset classes. And asset classes just mean different segments of the market that you could choose to invest your money in. First of all, they're broken down by size. So we have large cap, mid cap, and small cap. And small cap's not your mom and pop corner grocery store. Small cap is anything under $2 billion of revenue. Billion with a B. So I hope that someday Sterk Financial Services is considered a small cap company. (laughs) But until then, we're going to keep on a trucking. Okay, mid caps are between 2 and 12 billion in revenues and then the large caps those tend to be a lot of the names that you know. You know, the the big names that are household names and normally they have over 12 billion of revenue in a year. So big big numbers when we're talking about revenues that start with a billion in front of their number. So here's the thing with it is size does matter. And when you think about asset allocation from a size perspective, big companies tend to have more market share and they tend to have more money in their coffers. They also can tend to push around the little guys a bit easier. The little guys, the small caps of the world, don't have as much market share. They don't have as much, usually, time behind them. They don't have as big of a cash stash to fall back on and things like that. And so the small caps tend to be more risky. So when it comes from a risk perspective, large caps are less risky. Now, that doesn't mean no risk. It just means less risk. And small caps are more risky. Then when we look at things like different styles. We have a growth style, which is companies that are poised for growth and are in good economic condition. We have value style, which is companies that tend to be undervalued. For some reason, they've had something happen where their value of their stock has gone down. So they're considered undervalued. And we try to hold them in value you know, style until they get back to a correct value. And then the blend is the next category. And blend is something that's kind of a smorgasbord of both growth and value. So it can contain both of them. But all of these different asset classes sometimes are the best and sometimes are the worst performers. International is an asset class. And then you can, you can even split it down into bonds, long-term bonds, short-term bonds, medium-term bonds, things like that. But the bottom line with asset allocation is we never know ahead of time where in the market the most money is going to be made over the course of the next year. We can always look back in hindsight and say, where was it made? And so what I'm going to do today is kind of go through the last nine decades and talk about some of the things that happened during the decade and what was the winning 
asset class like compared to uh, some different benchmarks and where did we see the growth and where did we see the biggest losses? So I'm going to start with the 1930s. And the 1930s was, of course, the Great Depression time. So here's the thing, (laughs) kind of interesting. In 1933, in his inaugural address, Franklin Delano Roosevelt proclaimed, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And boy, I think that's something that still holds true today. And right after that, he pledged a new deal to aid the economy, introducing unemployment insurance and a new social security program that was going to guarantee income for retired Americans. Now, you fast forward from the 1930s to today, and we all know what social security is and how it plays into the lives of our retirees. But it was started in the midst of the Great Depression. One of the other things that happened during that time is that we saw radio and Hollywood movies grow in popularity as entertainment was something that provided people an escape from the hard times that they were facing. So we saw an October 1929 stock market crash, and then the Great Depression itself lasted from 1930 to 1936 which it bottomed out in 1933 when about one-fourth of the civilian labor force was unemployed. Okay, now right now we have higher unemployment than that, albeit the best guess is that it's temporary, but we saw one-fourth of people unemployed in 1933, and that was part of the Great Depression. So when we look at what happened during the 1930s at a decade, the S&P 500 versus long-term U.S. government bonds versus U.S. Treasury bills. Those are the three things I'm going to compare on these things. The S&P 500 during that decade, the average annual return was down 0.05%, so almost just a break-even, really didn't do much, went way down, came back up by the end of the decade, but that's the average. But what won during that time was long-term U.S. government bonds, and they had an annual average of 4.88%. So when we think about asset allocation, like I was saying earlier, that's why it makes sense to have some money in the stock side of the market and some money in the bond side of the market, because sometimes the stock side wins and sometimes the bond side wins. So asset allocation having your eggs in more than one basket is a way to smooth out the ride. And hopefully some of your money is making money no no matter what the market is doing. Okay, let's take a look at the 40s then. The 40s were kind of an economy that was spurred by war. We saw World War II turn Americans into soldiers as President Roosevelt picked the very first draft number. Very tense times, very trying times. Um, On the entertainment side, we saw big bands (laughs) were all the rage. We saw the movie Casablanca sweep through the nation and become an Academy Award winning. And this is when we saw the um, emergence of Rosie the Riveter and women went to work in defense plants. After the war ended in 1945, we saw economic reconversion begin. So we started to see things move back in another direction. And we also saw a wave of price increases and labor strikes as some of the government controls were lifted. Now, 
When Japan attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th of 1941, that threw the United States into World War II and into a wartime economy. And that's why we had price controls and we had consumer good shortages. We had upward trends dominating the stock market. And, and there was actually a vigorous bull market happening in 1945 as the war ended. So when you look back on history, frequently wartime will spur the market uh, because of some of the things that are happening in it. So when we look at the decade of the 40s where we had this war happening, the S&P 500 actual annual average return in that decade was positive 9.17. And the thing that didn't make much money during that time was U.S. Treasury bills, the T-bills. They only averaged 0.41%. So in this decade, dominated by a war, the stock market was the winner and T-bills were the losers. If we move on to the 50s, now we're into the Eisenhower years. Now, in the 50s, we had a significant amount of racial unrest at that time, too. And that's the time frame when Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat, sparking the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott. And it really began to focus the nation on civil rights. So there's a lot of, um, I would say, similarity to the unrest that we're seeing right now. Uh, Entertainment-wise, we saw Howdy Doody, Mickey Mouse, and Roy Rogers become children's favorites. Elvis rocked the world. <laughs> and the two new things that just swept the country were new kinds of automobiles and television sets. So for the first time, television sets became a staple in American homes. And consumerism really started to flourish during the 50s. That's when we saw that happen. So with Eisenhower guiding America through the early years of the Cold War, the stock market made significant gains, and I mean significant gains during this decade. The stock prices actually finally reached their highest levels since 1929. Now that happened in 1954. And then it was followed by a bear market that lasted 18 months from 1956 through 1957. And we saw the S&P 500 at that time drop by almost 20%. So even though we had a bear market during that decade and a big drop, over the course of the decade in the 50s, the big winner was the S&P 500 averaging 19.35% annually. That's a huge average for a decade. And the loser in this was long-term U.S. government bonds. So that decade, the average long-term U.S. government bonds, which had been the winner just a couple of decades earlier, it averaged negative 0.07. So again, we saw stocks win and we saw the bonds not do so well. However, during that 18-month bear market, people felt exactly the opposite way. Congratulations to Mary Stirk for being named three years in a row to the 2020 Forbes list for Best in State Wealth Advisors and Top Women Wealth Advisors.
Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, where we're talking about nine decades of bull and bear markets and why asset allocation has been so important amongst all of them. So let's dive into the 60s. The 60s was definitely a time of social revolution. And I think that there was a lot of interesting things that happened during the 60s and a lot of things that had impact on the market. So in the 60s, we saw the loss of JFK. And we also saw the um, epitome of his goal actually come to reality of putting a man on the moon. So we saw Neil Armstrong (laughs) arrive on the moon and take one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. The 60s was also when we had Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech happen in 1963, which inspired the civil rights movement. And in November of 1963, the U.S. sent over 16,000 military personnel to Vietnam. So at home, it was a volatile time of protests and televised war, a lot of unrest, which again is similar to some of the things that we're seeing happen right now. And so we had this this revolution happening where people were tired of the you know, the history of the Depression, the war, the ongoing Cold War. And there was a lot of swift changes that happened. And during the 60s, it was very turbulent in the market. We actually had three different bear markets during the 60s. However, by the end of the decade, what we saw was the S&P 500 was the winner again with an average annual return of 7.81%. And the biggest loser was long-term U.S. government bonds, which was only 1.45% average annual return. So again, when I'm saying winners and losers, I'm talking about S&P 500, long-term U.S. government bonds, and U.S. Treasury bills. So it kind of gives you a, a look at stock market, broad stock market, broad bond market, and some type of cash equivalent would be the T-bills. Okay. Then we move into the 70s, and the 70s brought the energy crisis. So the energy crisis certainly sparked an economic crisis. So one of the things that was happening during this time were U.S. soldiers were coming home from the Vietnam War to a very different America and a very different sentiment on the home front. We saw Nixon profoundly change U.S. foreign policy with actual visits to China and Russia that happened in 1972. We hadn't had that happen before. It was major changes in the way that foreign policy was being handled. Uh, Right after that, then we had the Watergate scandal. So a presidential scandal that rocked America, which really caused a lot of people to question the leadership. And on a business landscape, we saw Apple and Commodore, (laughs) haven't heard that name in a while, begin producing the first personal computers. And this is a time frame in the 70s where the number of women entering the workforce began to increase rapidly. So we began to see a major change in the landscape of business and the workers in business. We saw huge issues with the energy Uh, crisis. We saw OPEC quintuple oil prices in 1973, and it put America into a deep recession following that. Uh, We saw the stock market plunge 45% from January 1973 through December 1974. Unemployment was up to 8.7% by March of 1975. And here's the thing. 
even though all of that craziness happened during that decade, when we look back at the decade, the S&P 500 still averaged 5.86, the U.S. long-term government bonds averaged 5.52, and the U.S. T-bills were the winner and averaged 6.31. But there is a narrow margin, less than 1% between all of them. So that is a decade where having money allocated made a huge difference for people because sometimes each of those asset classes was winning. And at some point in time, all of those asset classes were losing. So having the combination approach of asset allocation is what allowed the returns by the end of the decade to stabilize and kind of come into a neck to neck thing like that. Next, we move into the 80s, and that introduced us to Reaganomics. We had the Space Shuttle Columbia launched and landed after completing 36 orbits. Um, Judge Sandra Day O'Connor became the first woman associate justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. And Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev agreed to reduce arms reduction talks with the U.S. So huge, huge things happening in terms of uh, war talks and things like that. President Reagan signed extensive budget and tax cutting legislation in 1981 and sweeping tax reform legislation in 1986. Even with that, we saw Black Monday stock market crash happen in 1987, and that was the largest one-day stock market decline on record as the Dow Jones Industrial Average that day fell 22.6%. Even with this major one-day sell-off, the S&P 500 totals returns for the decade still averaged 17.55% over the decade. Now think about that. Worst single day, Black Monday, something people talked about for the next several decades. And during the 80s, we still saw an average of 17.55%. Everything was making money that decade. We saw long-term government bonds average 12.62, and we saw U.S. Treasury bills average 8.89. And let me tell you, when the loser of the three asset classes still makes 8.89, most people are pretty happy during a decade. (laughs) All right, that brings us into the 90s. And the 90s brought us a huge technological explosive growth we saw the World Wide Web come into existence. The United States and Canada signed NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement. Um, In 1994, Republicans won both houses of Congress for the first time in 40 years. That's not something that typically happens. The Dow Jones Industrial Average jumped to its first close above 10,000 on March 29, 1999, which is kind of a almost laughable number when we think about what the Dow is at now. And as I'm recording this, it's hovering around a 25,000 mark. Now, we saw October 1990 through mid-1998, investors were rewarded by an incredibly long bull market. We saw almost an eight-year bull market with that. Then we had an Asian economic crisis, which briefly shook investor confidence that happened in 1997. But we still saw major gains in the decade of the 90s. The S&P 500 averaged 18.2. And the biggest loser of the three asset classes I'm tracking here was U.S. Treasury bills. And they still averaged 4.92. So again, most people are going to be happy. Then we get into the early 2000s. 
And the early 2000s it was the greeting of the new millennium. I mean, you all remember Y2K and people being nervous about that. Um, we saw the Economic Growth and Tax Relief Reconciliation Act of 2001 give us some of the largest tax cuts, tax cuts that happened in 20 years. But then 9-11 happened. It was one of the greatest tragedies in U.S. history, and we lost more than 3,000 American lives in the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. Then we had a war start after that, the 2003 war in Iraq, and that rocked the nation too. In 2008, financial markets around the country plunged. We had a credit crunch, which was compounded by the effects of a global market slowdown. And we saw Barack Obama take office as the 44th U.S. president, the first African-American president in the history of the United States. So the first 10 years of the new millennium was marred by major market issues and major world tragedies. However, it took a toll. And so what we saw happen with that is in the 2000s, the average rate of return for the S&P 500 was negative again for the first time in a long time, and it was down 0.95%. But again, here's the case for asset allocation. The long-term U.S. government bonds were up 7.69%. Again, a good reason to be allocated and not have all your eggs in one basket. I've heard the first 10 years of this millennium referred to as the lost decade because we really just didn't see much in the way of market movement in a forward direction. Then we get into the 2010s and on up to 2020 and what this is now called is the I generation. So technology and social media began to drive the information age. We saw social media exerting a growing influence on how people access information, and we saw social media platforms become big players on the overall public markets. In 2016, Donald Trump surprised the political establishment and was elected the 45th president of the United States, and we have seen a tremendous amount of political and civil unrest since then in terms of people agreeing or disagreeing with policies and things that are coming out of the current administration. What we did see, however, since then is a significant rise in the markets over time. And if we look at the 2010s at that decade, again, the S&P 500 was the winner. We saw the S&P close with an average annual return of 13.56, and U.S. Treasury bills was the loser on this one, only up 0.52%. So the moral of the story is this. Asset allocation matters. No matter what is happening in the world in any given decade, there is strife and tragedy happening. In any given decade, there is economic policy that is changing and shifting. And in any given decade, there is challenge and victory. And the one thing that you can believe in that does make sense throughout any of that is that a strong asset allocation policy within your own investments is what will carry you through the long-term investment plan. Have a great day and thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. 
Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can ensure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555. Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors list includes 10 recipients per state. The award is based on qualitative and quantitative data, rating thousands of wealth advisors with a minimum of seven years of experience and weighing factors like revenue trends, assets under management, compliance records, industry experience, and best practices. The award is not based on portfolio performance or client reviews. There is no fee in exchange for rankings. Third-party rankings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation.